Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. So good to see you this morning. It is a joy to be in worship with you. I do hope, following up on Beverly's announcement, that you will consider joining us this afternoon for Dr. Henderson's Bach recital. I am very much looking forward to it, and I think it will be a blessing for all of us. As many of you are aware, we are making our way through the book of Galatians and Lent. Today we come to the third chapter, and I have selected a few verses from the third chapter for our reading. Listen once again. To the word of God. You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we have noted in our exploration of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is frustrated with his brothers and sisters in these congregations. He's agitated, he's annoyed, and he is alarmed. In the first chapter, he omits his customary prayer of thanksgiving. And he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ. And then here today in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul can no longer contain his vexation. And he just says to them, you foolish Galatians! I love that verse, by the way. I think it's a wonderful verse. And I wonder, I've been wondering this all week. I'm wondering how you and I might resonate with Paul's agitation and join with him in saying, you foolish Galatians, or perhaps better yet, you and I might say, oh, you foolish Presbyterians. And I think that the answer has something to do with drawing the line. Where do we draw the line? Over the past three weeks, we have witnessed unspeakable horror and violence in Ukraine. Russia has brutally assaulted its neighbors, attacking not simply military targets, but civilian hospitals and apartment buildings. This morning, word comes to us that the Russians have bombed a school, a school of the arts, that was giving shelter to 400 men, women, and children. More than three million refugees have fled, and thousands upon thousands have been killed and wounded in what Putin deceitfully describes as a special military operation. Last week, the Patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church 
said that the war represents a conflict in values between Russia and the Western world. He denounced the evil forces destroying Russian-Ukrainian unity. And he linked these evil forces with gay pride parades. Any nation or society that holds a gay pride parade is on the wrong side, according to the patriarch. And in a sermon on March 6th, he said, if we see violations of God's law, we will never put up with those who destroy this law, blurring the line between holiness and sin, and even more so with those who promote sin as an example or as one of the models of human behavior. Around this topic today, there is real war. Gay, gay pride parades blurring the line between holiness and sin? You foolish patriarch! I think, I think Paul might be agitated with the patriarch today. Contrast the patriarch's comments with those of the ballerina Olga Smirnova. Last week she criticized Putin and she left the Bolshoi Ballet for the Dutch National Ballet. She said, I have to be honest and say that I am against war with all the fibers of my soul. I never thought I would be ashamed of Russia. I have always been proud of talented Russian people, of our cultural and athletic achievements, but now I feel that a line has been drawn that separates the before and the after. A line has been drawn both the patriarch and the ballerina are drawing lines, but note how different they are. The patriarch wants to draw a line between holiness and sin, and in his interpretation, that means drawing a line between traditional Russian values and values that embrace our LGBTQ neighbors as our brothers and sisters. And while she doesn't use these words, the ballerina, on the other hand, wants also to draw a line between love and hate between peace and war, between violence and acceptance. In his wonderful poem, The Mending Wall, Robert Frost says, good fences make good neighbors. There's a lot of wisdom in that. We all need our fences and we all draw lines one way or another. Uh, did you know, for example, that one of the earliest developmental milestones of infants is drawing a line between me and not me. When two people come together in marriage, they draw a line of fidelity around their relationship. Ancient Israel drew lines that separated them from other people. And they drew a line around God and said, there is one God and did so in a time and place when everyone believed in a multiplicity of gods, they drew a line around food and said, we will be different. We will not eat shellfish or pork. They drew a line around the last day of the week and they called that day Sabbath and said, we will not work on that day, unlike all the other civilizations on earth. The Israelites even drew a physical line and said that the mark of a faithful Jew would be that all the males are, cast, are 
circumcised. I almost said castrated, didn't I? You know, when I was going to go over that this morning, I said castrated, and I said, that would be awful to say that in here. Don't make that mistake. And I got half of it out of my mouth. I went, oh, no. All individuals and all groups draw lines. We draw lines to mark our identity, to delineate who we are, to show who is in and who is out, to demonstrate what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior. The agitators in Galatia drew the wrong line. They drew an old discarded line. Oh, you must be Jewish to be a faithful follower of Jesus. You must be Jewish. You must be circumcised. You must follow the law. And to that, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you missed the point. The categories you once thought were so important have been rendered obsolete. The old line separating Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female have been redrawn. There is only one community. Don't you get it? There's only one community. And when you belong to Christ, you belong to one another. As Charlie Kauser says in his wonderful commentary on this passage, the coming of Christ involves a redefinition of the people of God. The new unity discovered in fellowship with him replaces the old lines of demarcation, which included some and excluded others. Jesus redraws the lines. Now, this does not mean that all of our differences have simply vanished. But it does mean that any prejudice or chauvinism or condensation or separation or social stratification or hostility or barrier or a sense of inferiority or a sense of superiority based on these differences has been erased. In today's scripture passage, we come to the heart of the gospel in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians 3.28. In Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is among the most revolutionary, subversive, and disturbing words in all of scripture. It gives the church a radical trajectory towards justice and inclusivity and acceptance grounded not in the ideals of the Enlightenment, but in Christ himself. And when the centrality of Christ's love is replaced by tradition or ethnic heritage or social status or gender roles, or rules, or patriotism, Paul erupts in a fury. He is angry when the line that separates us is redrawn, redrawn in such a way that we exclude or push others away and only allow certain someones to come near. And I think, right, I, I think most of us here today this morning get this, right? I mean, most of us this morning, I think, would agree that judging someone on the color of their skin is simply wrong. 
But most of us in here today understand that nationalism, unbridled nationalism, was the great sin of the 20th century that left tens of millions of people dead in its way. And it's a sin that's raising its ugly head in our world again today. Most of us know that. Most of us know that a disparaging or dismissing label that we attach to someone else, it's just wrong. Oh, she's a, she's a liberal. No, no, she's a conservative. Oh, no, no, she watches MSNBC. Oh, well, you know, he just watches Fox News. We, we know in our more ra rational moments that this is wrong. But what about those situations when our exclusivist tendencies are concealed in tradition or hidden in the way that simply, well, that's the way it's always been. For I imagine that even though they were Gentile in Galatia, they knew about circumcision. That's just the way things were done in Judaism. They, they, they understood that. Well, it wasn't a big deal, right? But when we replace the centrality of Christ's love as the foundation of our community and replace it with anything else like color of skin or gender or ethnicity, nationality, Paul is furious. And so it leads me, this is what I've really been wondering this week. I wonder in what ways we might be like the Galatians and excluding some simply because that's just the way it's always been. I wonder what, what ways Paul might be looking at us saying, you foolish Presbyterians. Because somehow we have inadvertently pushed people down because that's just the way things always have been. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed to share this story. I regret it. Cooper was a little girl in my first church. She was about four or five years old, long, blonde, curly hair, and every Sunday her grandparents brought her to our small, rural Presbyterian church. She was a delight. And in the congregation in which the average age was 147, she was welcomed with joy and love each and every week. Well, most weeks. Not every week. That congregation, as so many Presbyterian congregations 35 years ago, celebrated communion four times a year. Monday, Thursday, 1st of July, 1st of October, 1st of January. And that's what we did there. Four times a year we celebrated communion. And I introduced them to the very liturgy that we use in our worship service today. And we would begin with the great prayer of thanksgiving. And you, you recall how that begins. Uh, the Lord be with you. And then you say, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And they learned these words just four times a year, but we went over them and over them and over them and over them. And they got it. Walter and Lydia Landau were members of that church. Well, not really members. They were there every Sunday. They rented the manse that was next door, <coughs> excuse me, to that congregation. Uh, they were refugees from Russia. 
Walter had been forced to serve in the Russian army during World War II, and he was captured by the Nazis and then escaped, and then captured by the Nazis, and he would escape. But they made their way to our country. He got a degree in engineering and was a wonderful success. And then they started coming to our congregation. And so I would say on Sunday mornings, those traditional words, this morning we invite all baptized believers to come and join us in Christ's feast. I wanted them to know that they were included. Would all who are baptized please come and let's join in Christ's feast. And that's where we were not as welcoming of Cooper as I would have liked. For even though her grandparents brought her to worship every Sunday, her parents said, no, 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 she will not be baptized. We talked with them that the grandparents were quite willing to make the vows on the parents' behalf to nurture her in the way of Jesus Christ. And one week they said, yes, let's do it. We'll have her baptized, but no, no, that Thursday or Friday, they changed their mind and Cooper was never baptized. Now, technically, we were right. It fit the book of order. And since the earliest days of the church, only those who were baptized have been welcomed to Christ's table. But theologically, we could not have been more wrong. For even though the waters of baptismal grace had never flowed over her head, there was no doubt, no doubt at all, that she belonged to Christ and we belonged to her. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. We all participated except for Cooper, who for the 10 years I was there, just watched and observed. And I was too young to know any better. I was too young, too stupid. You go, you know, just because that's where the book of water draws the line, that doesn't mean that that has to be where we draw the line. I can hear Paul saying to me and those Christians now, oh, you, you foolish Presbyterians. Here's the thing. That's just the way things had always been done. We were trying to be good. We are trying to be faithful. We thought we were being right. But in our zeal to be right, we stopped being faithful. So I wonder, and I have no clear answer for this today, but I do want to leave you with a question. I wonder if there are ways in which we unknowingly, when we're trying to follow the rules and do things right, when we do things because that's the way they've always been done, I wonder if there are any ways that we might inadvertently be excluding some people for too often. Sin and evil, exclusion, judgmentalism, are not marching the streets publicly in the streets, marching the streets in Charlottesville, Virginia. No. No, the evil of exclusivism and judgmentalism hide simply in the way things are. The attitudes and the presumptions and practices that we never submit to the scrutiny of Christ's love. And so what situations might we be pulling some in and pushing others away, pushing some down while welcoming others? How might we 
How might we be treating certain people with an, as an object of scorn and derision? In what way might we be drawing the line in the world today that does not reflect the love of Christ? This is Lent, and this is our challenge. Amen.